Amen. Thank you, Chris. Good morning, church. It is Reformation Sunday, so happy Reformation Sunday, because on October the 31st, uh, 1517, Martin Luther decided it was time to nail a 95 thesis to the door of the Wittenberg in Wittenberg, Germany. And when he did that, he prompted the Protestant Reformation, and that's why we're here today, so we have a lot to celebrate, because in that declaration, they declared that indulgences, pilgrimages, relics, people, those are not the things that save us. It is by Jesus Christ and Him alone. We are saved by grace alone and faith alone, through Christ alone, for the glory of Christ alone. Amen? And so we are here to celebrate that, and as we celebrate that, we are in the final sermon of the book of Acts. I know it's been a long time coming. We started in January. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad you're here. This is the it. This is the end of that. So you get to get the very last sermon of the book of Acts, and uh, we're excited to be seeing where Luke, the author of Acts, takes us this morning. So uh, it's in Acts 28, picking up verse 17, where Chris left off. This morning, as we talk about this, though, there, there needs to be kind of like this prompt. I don't want you to get let down, okay? There's, there's different kinds of people in, in the room. There's those who need closure and those who don't need closure, right? So um, what I mean by that is that my wife and I are watching a series, and uh, we're watching a TV series. I don't need closure. I was like, no, we watched that. I don't need to watch again. I don't need to watch again, but she needs closure. She likes to, no, why would we start a new show? We haven't finished the show we're watching. So there's like this little marital dispute that goes on. I don't know if this, I shouldn't, shouldn't talk about this here probably, but some of us need closure and some of us don't. So there's these three words that pop up that some, some of us, it just drives us crazy, and there's others of us that we're like, ooh, that sounds intriguing. And here they are, to be continued. You ever get to the end of a movie and you're like, are you kidding me? You're not going to wrap this thing up like, I don't want to come back later and see what happens. Well, this is kind of what Luke does. As he gets to the very end of the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, it kind of just ends, dot, 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 to be continued. Because what happens is that this is written, this is the Acts of the Apostles, and the story doesn't end because then the baton of faith is handed to the church, and now it's the Acts of the church. So we get to play a part. We are the next chapter in the book of Acts. Amen? The gospel message has been delivered to us, just as it was delivered to Paul, to continue to go forth. So ministry is to be continued. Ministry is to be continued. So hopefully that helps you get ready for Acts chapter 28, starting in verse 17. The first thing that we see is ministry is to be continued even when some don't listen. Even when some don't listen, ministry is to be continued. Let's pick up there verse 17. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And they had examined me. They wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak to you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here have reported or spoken any evil about you. 
But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. This is God's word. Let's stop there. Paul has made his way to Rome. This is where it's been building for the last several chapters. You've got to make it to Rome. You've got to make it to Rome. You've got to make it to Rome. Well, he has made it to Rome, and he is there, and he is under house arrest. And the first thing he does is he calls out to the Jews, because this has been his pattern from the very beginning. On every missionary journey, he would originally go to the synagogue and preach the gospel there, but now he's enchained. He can't go to the synagogue, so he says, well, guess what? I'll just call the synagogue to come to me, and I'll tell them about the gospel. So he calls to the Jews, and what this shows is that Paul shows no animosity towards those who have tried to hurt him. None. A, the sub-point I want you to see is ministry is to be continued by forgiving and furthering the gospel. It is to be continued by forgiving and furthering the gospel. Oftentimes, ministry is not continued because there are believers who hold such unforgiveness and bitterness in their hearts that they can't even preach the message of forgiveness to other people. We are to be a people because we have been forgiven much, show much forgiveness. And when we show much forgiveness, when there is no reason to show that forgiveness other than Jesus Christ, the ministry is continued because we are able to proclaim the forgiveness of Christ. He says there in verse 17, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. The Jews, the ones who had arrested him, the ones who had called for him to be executed, the ones who had tried to stone him, and the ones who had persecuted him day in and day out. Everywhere he went, the Jews were following, and they were building this case against him. And who's the first people he calls out to? Those who have been persecuting him. He writes in Romans 12, 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Can you imagine the ministry continuing in the life of a believer because believers stop cursing those who are against them and start blessing them? Ministry is to be continued. And it's to be continued with us because we show the forgiveness and the love of Christ even to those who persecute us. You can't expect to have a very good witness of the gospel's good news of forgiveness when you harbor unforgiveness in your heart. Let me ask you, as you come in here today, in the baton of faith, the gospel message, the gospel message of forgiveness that's been handed to you, is it proclaimed to those around you, even those who persecute you, even those who harm you, even those who say ill things about you, is it, is it carried on to them because you are a person of forgiveness, a person of love, person of kindness and mercy that only comes from your knowledge of Jesus Christ. B, ministry is to be continued by persuading others with our manner of life, by preaching Christ, and by prioritizing ministry in our daily life. The gospel ministry has been handed to you and I, and therefore we must begin to persuade people with our manner of life. The church is to look radically different than the world. Radically different. Unfortunately, as you look at statistics as time goes on, the church has become more and more and more like the world. Paul, he persuaded these men with his manner of life. It's because of the gospel I wear these chains. My manner of life has put me in prison, is basically what he says. Let me persuade you by preaching the gospel to you. And so he says, I'm going to preach to you. 
And I'm going to prioritize this time that I have in chains to give the gospel to everyone I get a chance to. Verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in, great, in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. All day long, he took this opportunity to persuade them about Jesus Christ. It doesn't say that he gave his testimony, but we've seen in the book of Acts how Paul continually gave his testimony, how he was blinded by a great light, how Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? How he was radically changed on the road, and how from that moment on his entire trajectory of life has been one to glorify God. And so now he's here in a, in a, in a house arrest prison, and he's proclaiming this. He's persuading them. This has been my manner of life. You know that how I was as a Jew and now how I am as a Christian. He spent all day preaching to them. Paul would preach the law of Moses and the words of the prophets, revealing that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. In our reading this week, if you're going through the chronological Bible with us, you would have came across the story in Luke that Jesus tells. Luke 16. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked at sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water to cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Verse 25. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you are in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. We have been given a life that is to be lived for the glory of God, to be lived worthy of the gospel. And our manner of life is to be a witness. It is to carry on the ministry. It is to persuade people by our manner of life that this world has nothing compared to Jesus Christ, that he is our one prize, that our hearts have been fixed on him. And our words are the words of the gospel because this is what changes people's lives. And we, when we proclaim this, it doesn't, it doesn't get any better than that. Well, you should send someone back from the grave. Look, if they're not going to listen to the law and they're not going to listen to the prophets and they're not going to see that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, not even someone rising from the grave will persuade him. In fact, Jesus Christ rose from the grave, and many were not persuaded. 
we have been given everything we need to know about Jesus Christ for the salvation of our souls. Let me ask you, is the ministry continued by the way that you present this to others? We are called not just to know facts, but we are called to live out the Word of God in such a way that people are drawn towards Jesus. He spent all day prioritizing. To be continued, ministry needs to be persuading others with our manner of life, preaching Christ and prioritizing ministry in our daily life. Now, it's interesting. They picked a day to come to Paul, and I say prioritize. I'm not sure Paul had a lot going on, right? He pretty much cleared his schedule. Yeah, I'm, I'm available. I, I don't have anything else going on. I'm chained to this soldier. So, uh, yeah, come on anytime you want. I'll entertain you all day. The thing is, we need to prioritize the ministry because we've been handed the baton of faith, but often we don't prioritize the ministry. We prioritize everything else. We all have time for what's important. We're all given the same amount of hours in the day. I often joke and I say that people have different size plates. I say some people, they, they pile their plate full and they, they can handle the entire dinner plate. My son last night, he, he filled his plate full of chicken fingers. And I was like, son, there is no way you can eat that many chicken fingers. He said, watch me. <laughs> he didn't eat all the chicken fingers. Like there was no way he could, he could finish that plate. A lot of us, we have the size plate of like an appetizer. I just can't fit anything else on my schedule right now. My wife, she has a size, her plate's the size of a platter. I mean, just who can keep up with that? The thing is, is we often, we go to the buffet of this world and we say, oh, I prioritize this in my life, and I prioritize this in my life, and I definitely prioritize this in my life. Where's ministry on that plate? Acts ends with a to be continued because every single believer in Christ has been handed the baton of faith to carry on the ministry for the, for the global expansion of the good news of the gospel. And for us to do that, it means every single one of us says, you know what, I'm going to prioritize ministry in my life. God has called me, he's equipped me, he's filled me with his spirit, he's given me his word, and now I am on mission for his cause, for his kingdom, for his glory. So let me ask you, does your manner of life persuade others to see the glory of God, the glory of Christ? Does your words preach the glory of Christ whenever you're given the opportunity? And do you prioritize? Does your schedule reveal that you are prioritizing the ministry that God has called you to? C, ministry is to be continued by personally hearing the word, perceiving the word, Receiving the truth of the word and understanding the word with practical application. Sounds simple enough, right? All we got to do is hear it, understand it, receive it, understand it, apply it. That sounds pretty reasonable. It says this in verse 24, Acts 28. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they parted, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. 
and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. They will listen. Ministry is to be continued even when some won't listen. The prophet Jeremiah said things like the prophet Isaiah. Jeremiah 7, 22 through 27. For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this command I gave them, obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And walk in a way that I command you, that it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts, and went backward, not forward. Verse 25, from the day from your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants and prophets to them day after day, yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. So you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. You shall call to them, but they will not answer you. In God's foreknowledge, he still sent messengers to preach the good news to those who he knew would not listen. The ministry has been handed to us. We are to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. We're to have a manner of life that is persuading others to want to see the hope that we have in Christ. We need to prioritize that because even though some won't listen, we are called to speak the good news. But there's a, there's a danger to the ministry not being continued. There's a danger. Are you ready? It's, it's a subtle danger. It's a danger that tormented the Israelites. It's a danger that tormented the Jews that Paul's talking to. It's a danger that torments many Christians today who sit in church pews just like these or attend church regularly. It's a danger that would keep us from carrying on the ministry that's been handed to us. You ready for what it is? Here's the danger. Insensitivity toward God. It, that's it. An insensitivity toward God. Did you hear this section of Scripture from Isaiah? Oh, they, they hear, but their ears are dull. They're not really listening. They see, but they're, they're, they're kind of blind. They're not really paying attention. They're just insensitive to the word of God. There's five things I want you to know about being insensitive towards God. You ready? Number one, insensitive, insensitivity towards God deceives us into thinking we're good. When we're insensitive towards God's word, we have a tendency to think, you know, I'm good. I'm not acting like everybody else. Look at the world. They're, they're crazy. I don't, I don't participate like that. I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. But being a pretty good person does not mean that you're listening to the word of God, does it? Insensitivity towards God deceives us into thinking we're good. Number two, insensitivity towards God deceives us into justifying our sinful actions or our lack of missional action. When we're insensitive to the word of God, it deceives us into justifying sins in our life. How many believers sit in the pews just like these week after week yet justify the sin that they participate in every single day of the week? Insensitivity towards God. The other part of that is justifying the lack of missional effort that we put forth in extending the kingdom of God. We all play a part. We're all handed that baton of faith to carry it on. 
Number three, insensitivity towards God deceives us into believing our mental assent of the word of God is the same as our obedience towards God. Let that one sink in for just a second. We begin to think that our mental assent of the word of God is the same as our obedience to God. The majority of things that happen in the life of the, in the body of the church is Bible study after Bible study after Bible study after Bible study. And these aren't bad things. I'm all about some Bible studies. But what happens when those Bible studies never produce in us a life of missional effort? What if all we do is fill ourselves with these facts, but we never fuel ourselves for missions? Let me ask you, does the Word of God fill your tank with facts of the mind? Or does spending time in God's Word fuel your tank for mission mission and ministry? We're to be filled up in God's Word. Bible studies have a purpose. And the purpose is that we would understand and we would apply. Not just that we would gain more knowledge. Insensitivity towards God, number four, deceives us into allowing sin to reign unchecked. Again, we're not just justifying it. We're not even convicted by it. It goes unchecked. Paul wrote in Romans 6, 12 through 13, Let not sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Insensitivity towards God deceives us into allowing sin to go unchecked in our life, but sensitivity towards God is allowing us to be convicted of the sins that are in our life, knowing I should not allow myself to be participating in this, offering my body in this way. I should be offering my body as an instrument of righteousness for his work. And here's the last one. Insensitivity towards God deceives us into a two-step process. So you can boil it all down to these two steps. Step one, you stop listening to God. Let me ask you, when's the last time? Honestly, when's the last time? You just knew that God was speaking to you. You're sitting there in God's word, and he just, he just spoke straight to you. When we stop listening to God, it leads to the second step. We stop obeying God. And insensitivity to listening to God leads to the next step of not even obeying God. And that is the danger for ministry being continued. Because we, unfortunately, might be the ones who aren't listening. Ministry is to be continued even when some aren't listening. Number two, ministry is to be continued even when mission movement is hindered. Let's pick up there at verse 30 and 31. This is it. This is the last two verses of Acts. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. To be continued. Did you get that? Last two words, without hindrance. Odd choice of words for someone who has hindered to house arrest. He proclaimed it. Even when missional movement was hindered, 
the gospel was not hindered. You know, over the last two years, mission mobility in the life of the church has been somewhat hindered. I can tell you because we have put mission trip after mission trip on the calendar and erased it every time. A lot of that has to do with travel restrictions. A lot of that has to do with fear. A lot of that has to do with dangers. A lot of that has to do with the fact that we're less likely to be mobile after COVID-19. In fact, it's not just here. Mission experts believe that COVID-19 will have a lasting impact on the way Christian groups actually do missions in the future. It's difficult. But the thing is, is though we might be hindered in our mobility, we're not hindered in spreading the gospel. It's without hindrance. So I'm going to give you three ways that you and I can carry on the ministry to be continued, even if our movements are hindered. Okay, you ready? A, when missional movement is stationary, witness where you are. Just witness where you are. Where is Paul? He's in chains, in a house arrest, at his own expense, and he's welcoming people every day so he can tell them about the gospel, and he's doing it with all boldness, without hindrance. Witness where you are. Over these next two years, he writes letter after letter after letter to different churches. He writes to Philippians. He writes a letter to Philemon. He writes Colossians. In fact, next, next week, we'll be in Philippians. We're going to pick right up. This is where Paul is. We're going to talk about being joy-filled all the way through the end of the year. Joy-filled. Paul preached as a witness where he was. Now here we are, Philippians 1, 12 through 14. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I'm sitting here, and I'm chained to a prisoner. I'm on house arrest at my own expense in Rome, and I want you to know that this has happened to advance the gospel. I might not be mobile. I may not be on a missionary journey, but let me tell you this. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Two things happen. Listen, I'm here, and every four hours another soldier comes in and has to handcuff themselves to me. And guess what? That's an opportunity for them to hear a four-hour sermon. Can you imagine me handcuffing you to a four-hour sermon? Man, it's hard to go 40 minutes. I understand. So, four-hour sermon of Pauline theology. You're getting all of it. You're going nowhere. You're handcuffed. And what has happened on this rotation is that the gospel has worked its way all the way through the imperial guard to where they know Jesus Christ. Not only that, that all those who are witnessing what Paul is doing are becoming more bold. You know what? If he can do it in prison, I can do it in the street. I can go and preach the gospel. And so this is how ministry is to be continued because it is a momentum that is not hindered by our location. It goes and goes and goes because we witness where we are. Let me ask you, who's handcuffed to you in your life right now? They're not getting out of that. They're not getting out of that relationship without hearing the gospel, amen? Who sits in the pew near you? Hey, look at them. Hey, have I told you about Jesus? 
who sits in the cubicle across from you at work. Hey, have I told you about Jesus? Who's your neighbor across the street? What little kid's coming trick-or-treating today, and you're going, hey, can I tell you about the gospel? The ministry is not hindered when you witness where you are. B, when missional movement is stationary, mentor who you have. If you're older in the faith, that isn't, I'm not pointing at gray hairs, okay? If you're older in the faith, who's God placed in your path that you can mentor in the gospel? He writes to Philemon. Philemon's written about a runaway slave, Onesimus. This slave ran away from his owner, and it just so happened that he ran across Paul here on house arrest. And he is able to mentor him and share the gospel with him, and he becomes a follower of Christ. So he writes this letter back to Philemon. According, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, <laughs> Paul, like, listen, I'm an apostle. I could tell you what to do, but I'm not going to. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, an old man in the faith, and now a prisoner also, for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to me and to you. Verse 12, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on my behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He says, listen, in my imprisonment, this young man came across my path and I saw it as an opportunity for ministry. And perhaps the only reason he ran away under the providence of God was to come across my path so that he could go from death to life. And now I can send him back to you, not just as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. What an amazing opportunity. Though he's hindered in his mobility, the ministry is not hindered in any case because he witnesses where he is and he mentors who he has. And here's the last one. Well, let me say this. Mission and ministry are not hindered by a lack of mobility. A lack of mobility does not stop the opportunity to make disciples. So the last one is this. When missional movement is stationary, serve the church you attend. The ministry has been handed off to us. Witness where you are. Mentor who you have and serve the church you attend. He writes to Colossians 1, 24 through 29. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for the ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Verse 27, 
To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Look at this. Him, we. You see the plurality of the the verbiage there? We. Paul's in prison. We proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Ministry was not hindered by his mobile hindrance. He served the church. How do we serve the church? By proclaiming Christ. We want to be a Christ-centered church. We want to proclaim Christ. The actual Greek is him we proclaim. Christ is central. Does your life proclaim Christ? Does your life proclaim that he's central to your life? The church is built on Christ and him alone. Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. Jesus Christ builds the church. One pastor said this, Dustin Binge says, I is the supremacy of Christ. Will is the plan of Christ. Build is the work of Christ. My, the possession of Christ. Church, the bride of Christ. This is what Christ is doing. And he is sending us out as his workmen. We warn everyone about sin. The word there is admonish. It's an alert. It's to call people to really consider the consequences of the sins that are in their life. This is not being critical. It's being caring. We as a church have a ministry to continue by putting Christ first, but also admonishing one another in the faith teaching all that has been commanded. We're called to teach one another. We all play a role in discipleship and in instruction and explaining doctrine and presenting truths to one another in a way that we can build one another up in the faith. We're all called to this. That's why he says we, not just Paul. We. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority is in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What's the next part? Teaching. We can't stop with conversions and baptisms. The church is called for teaching, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is the work of the church so that we can present everyone mature in Christ. Sinclair Ferguson says it this way, in a word, maturity equals Christ-likeness. Presenting everyone in a Christ-likeness. Is that how you would describe the church? Man, that church is Christ-like. No other standard may be allowed as a substitute. All other standards will be lesser man-made alternatives that disguise the all-demanding standard God set before us in scriptures. Zeal, knowledge, orthodoxy, and success would be easier standards by far. What would be particularly active about them, of course, is that we can measure ourselves and others against them to some degree of satisfaction by our own performance. We might even, in this case, be obviously more mature than others. But God's standard is none of these. The only thing that counts, according to Paul, is being like Jesus. Are you growing more and more like him? Church, let me ask you this. Are you engaging in the ministry of the church by actively helping others grow to be more and more like Christ? Because that 
is what has been handed off to us. Ministry to be continued. We serve the church, we attend so that we all grow more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right. Here's the last thing. There's no more verses in Acts, so the last one is this. Ministry is to be continued even when the end is near. Even when the end is near. So we've seen that everything has led up to Paul being here in Rome. Acts 23, 11, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Well, he's made it to Rome. Acts 27, 23. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. There is no account of what takes place next. It is just to be continued. Now, church history tells us that he did go to Rome. He's there now, and he finally, after two years, does get a trial, and he is set free. And ministry continued, and until 1964, there was missional movement, and then Emperor Nero was accused of burning the majority of Rome. And to get the attention off of his back, he claimed it was the Christians. Well, the Christians, they burned Rome. And so then there became this onslaught of persecution where Christians were gathered up, they were persecuted, they were murdered, they were executed. They were used as human torches to light the streets at night. And in 1965, or in, in A.D. 65, it's recorded that Peter and Paul were both arrested under the care and under the watch care of Emperor Nero, both being crucified. Peter, history tells us, was crucified upside down, not wanting to be crucified the same way as his Lord was. But Paul, being a Roman citizen, would not be crucified. He would lose his head to the sword. Just before this takes place, we have the final words that we know of. 2 Timothy 4, 6-12. For I am ready, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come see me soon. For Demas, in love of the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia. Titus and Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in the ministry. Remember how they had this split? Titicus, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I have left with Carpus at Toras, Troas. Also the books and above all the parchments. He's in this prison cell. It's cold, it's damp. He knows the end's coming soon. He wants a cloak so he can stay warm. He wants his parchments. 
He wants his word, and he wants his church to surround him. Ministry is to be continued even when the end is near. So Paul poured out his life as a drink offering for ministry. Romans 12.1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by his mercies, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord, which is your spiritual worship. Paul's life was a life of worship. In fact, if following Jesus isn't causing you to sacrifice something, you may not be worshipfully following. You may just simply be wishfully following. We're all called to take up the baton of faith so ministry can be continued. It's going to take some prioritizing. Can we pray? Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life and the witness of Paul. We thank you, Lord, that it's not just Paul, but it's all those who anticipate your coming, who love to see you, who long to hear your voice. The Lord, you would use us to further your kingdom or that we would be your church, that we would be established in you, Christ-centered, that you would use us for your kingdom, for its expansion, and that we would pour our lives out on an altar of worship because you are worthy. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word in Christ's name. Amen. Will you stand? Will you respond?